following sermon is from Dr. Dan Kitnoya, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you've never reached out to Calvary before, we'd like to hear from you. Visit our website, calvarytilton.com. That's calvarytilton.com. And now, here's Dr. Dan. couple quick announcements before we get started. Uh, there's, for the small groups, there is a, uh, for those who are leading small group, uh, there's questions out in the foyer. Also next week at the, uh, the meal followed with the leadership meeting, there will be, I believe, a motion presented that day. So uh, just wanted a little housekeeping announcement related to business. You have your copy of the scriptures. Join me if you would in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter Four. Back in the day when I was uh, probably nine or younger than that, even my, my brother Bill started buying old cars. He bought a 1977 Firebird, and uh, it was from Cleveland, so it was a rust bucket, but he got to work on fixing that car up, and my grandpa uh, bought him. He used to, My grandpa, having been a mechanic, understood the value of having the right tools to get the job done, so he went out and bought my brother some a great tool set, got him the ultimate tool set, and got him a toolbox, and he went to work and uh, fixed up this 1977 train, uh, it was a Firebird actually, and he sold that and then he bought another one, he bought a 78 Fire, oh, no it was a Trans Am, this one, 6.6 .6 liter, 400 cubic inch engine, <laughs> and it was cool. He paint, had it painted red, so it was like brand new, and he bought the screaming chicken that you put on the top of it, and, and, and he did all that. See, it was, my brother had the skill that I, well, it seemed to skip me, and not a generation, but it skipped me. He had a mechanical aptitude, and my grandpa, I can't imagine him knowing him. Knowing him I love him as a, love my grandpa, but I can't imagine him being the type of dad that was sort of spending Saturday afternoons fixing the cars with his kids, right? But something happens to us over time, we get a little softer, and uh, when the grandkids come along, it changes us. At least I'm imagining this. Um, and so he, he bought the ultimate set of tools for my brother. I don't know that grandpa thought of it as the family business, but he understood that when you fix cars, you need the right tools. He knew this because that was what he did. When we think about the right tool for the job, when you become a Christian, something interesting happens. Not only do you receive forgiveness, not only do you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, you also get a spiritual gift, the right tool to help build the kingdom of God. In our book, the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters, Paul speaks of our salvation in this lofty terminology, and I have been studying it in depth for a couple years now and, and, and pulling it apart, and I just go, wow, this thing is deep, it's rich, it's a little bit above our heads at times. Would you get this understanding that even if you can't understand everything that Paul is saying, God is up to something big, and it's bigger than what your eyes can fully see. When he starts talking about you were saved, you were called from before the earth was founded, you know that there is something bigger going on than what you can see. And so the first three chapters, he lays out for us this deep working of God. And then he gets to chapter four and he says, look, because you are now in the family of God, these are the responsibilities. And so we're going to look first off at chapter four. We're going to look at verses one through six, but that's just to set our stage for verses seven through 16. 
because I want us to catch this. God has brought you into his family, and with that, we have a family business. The family of business, according to Jesus, is to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. From start to finish in the life of a Christian, coming to faith in Christ and becoming more like Christ is a work of heart transformation. And so we're looking this morning at what is our role in this work of transformation. Join me, if you would, in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Verse 2, he uses call and calling, and that shows up two more times in the first four verses. With all humility. So here he's describing what what it means, what it looks like to walk worthy. With all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In other words, you've been brought into this family of God, so function in a way that you don't create uh, division, that you don't accidentally harm the body, whether it be, and it goes on later talking about false doctrine, but here he's talking primarily about how you treat one another in the church. You were brought into a family, and here's the responsibility. Work hard to maintain the unity and provi- protect the unity by how you conduct yourself. So you've been brought into the family, and here's the responsibility. And then in verse 4 through 6, he sort of lays out for us the groundwork. Here's the foundation. You are in a family. Look at verse 4. There is one body, that's the church, and one spirit, that's the Holy Spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, salvation is the hope, call is the invitation of God. Verse 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and here it is, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And so we're seeing this, that God is the Father. When you look at the New Testament, the church is described as a building, it's described as a body, and it's also described as a family because Paul is trying to get this idea across. You ready? While there are many of you individually, there is one church. There is one God, one Holy Spirit, one faith, which was delivered once and for all for the saints. We're one. One family, one God and Father. And then the question becomes, what does God want from me. So you were called to a saving relationship with Jesus and you are called, catch this, verses 7 through 16, we're going to see this, that you are called to serve. One of the deep questions that people ask is this, why am I here? What is the purpose in life? Now I was certainly as a younger man in my 20s, I was not a deep thinking man, but when I caught a hold of this truth, or rather when the truth caught a hold of me, that I, as a Christian, were saved on purpose, for a purpose, it was a game changer. And I want us to catch that. As Christians, sometimes Christians go through and they don't fully understand that you are not saved on accident. God moved heaven and earth. His son died on a cross to pay for your sins. That's not an accident. You were called to this. That word call and calling... It's been wrestled with, and I don't want us to miss too much because in the church world we debate the meaning. Can I just give you a real general sense? God invited you to salvation. You didn't figure it out on your own. He sent preachers. He sent Sunday school teachers. Mom and dad shared the gospel. A friend shared the gospel. Whatever it was, a tract. Somehow you heard about salvation, 
and you understood that God was calling you, inviting you, and you responded. That's not an accident. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says this of our salvation. We are saved by grace. That's a gift. Through faith, this is not your own doing, and it's not of works, lest anyone should boast. And then, so you're saved on purpose, and in verse 10, for a purpose. For good works which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. This morning we've got great people up in the sound booth and they're doing that stuff that I don't know how to do and even if I did, I don't think I'd want to do it. Catch this. God knew ahead of time, planned ahead of time that they were going to walk in that, that ministry this morning. And so I want us to catch this. As Jesus calls us to salvation, and then in verse 7 and following, we're going to see this. He gives every believer a spiritual gift. Take a look at verse 7 through 10. But grace was given to each one of us. Here he's talking about spiritual gifts. According to the measure of Christ's gift. So he's linking it as part of our salvation. So with the salvation package also includes a spiritual gift. That's how I read him in verse 7. Verse 8, therefore it says, and he quotes Psalm 68 verse 18. When he ascended on high... He led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. And then verse 9, he kind of changes course because if you've read Paul for any length of time, no matter what he talks about, he always ends up going back to Christ and the cross. Verse 9, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? Christ came from, earth to, from heaven to earth. That's what he's describing here. And then he returned. Then verse 10, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens. What's the point of all this? So that he might fill all things. Another place, Paul says kind of the same idea here, and he says that he might have the preeminence. Glory. And so we see here Christ Jesus graciously calls us to salvation and gives every believer a spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 talks about this similar issue, and he t says this about it. To each one, each Christian, each believer, is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Somehow it materializes, and here's how. A manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So he's saying, look, and he goes on and describes spiritual gifts. You and I were given a spiritual gift. When it says each one Christian understands something, the moment you put your trust in Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit. He lives in you, and with that came a spiritual gift. He gave you the tools to get to work in some way, in some capacity in the kingdom of God. Your spiritual gift is the way Christ has called and equipped you to serve him. Check this. By serving others. Dr. Aker, who I had at the Assemblies of God Seminary, I took a class on this with him, and he said, I think it's helpful for us to think of spiritual gifts as spiritual ministry instead, because the word ministry means service. And the ultimate reason you have a gift is not so you can say, look at this great gift God gave us. It's rather so you can get to work and, and serve. That's the idea behind it. Serving is the purpose of your spiritual gift. Spiritual gifts, as we see in verses 9 and 10, are a part of the salvation package that Jesus Christ gives us. He won these things through his victory. In, in the passage here, he's talking about the cross in a slightly different angle than you might be normally think of it. He's talking about Christ 
as the victor. He comes down. He had to overcome a lot of things to make your salvation possible. First off, he had to take on human form. God himself. Then he had to, his light is so bright, he has to find a way to shade it so we don't, he doesn't blind us all. So he comes down and takes on human flesh. He overcomes temptation. He is sinless. He then dies on a cross. He's beaten, bloodied, and dead, graveyard dead. And not only does he then die, but he then rises from the dead, defeating death. Think about all the victory that came about with Christ. He overcomes the distinction between the, this holiness of God and the human flesh. He's, he's not a man like us, but he takes on human flesh. He had to overcome that. Then he had to overcome temptation. If you've ever been tempted in your life, you have. You know that that's not a small matter, that he overcame it. Then he dies. And by the way, in the going to the cross, he wasn't like, sweet, bring it. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he's praying, and here's what he says. Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but your will be done. He had to overcome his fear. And, and then he goes to the cross, he dies, he overcomes death, he overcomes Satan, he overcomes the governments of this world. Therefore, he is the victorious Savior. And with this salvation package, the victorious king gave gifts to men and women. He's talking about spiritual gifts. And the purpose for us having these spiritual gifts is that ultimately as we use them, as we bring glory to the name of Christ, he will be glorified and fill all things. So spiritual gifts are part of the salvation package. But what is a spiritual gift? I have been studying this out for well over a decade, trying to really get my head around it. And it should probably give you some encouragement to know that at 15 years of studying this stuff, I haven't fully grasped it. Because if we could fully grasp all there is to know about God, well, wouldn't that make us a little bit higher than we actually are? But here's my best explanation of what a spiritual gift is. It is a Holy Spirit-empowered ability. A Holy Spirit empowered ability. And sometimes you think, is that, here's a question you ought to be asking. Is that the same as a natural ability? Sometimes. Listen, somebody who's really called and gifted and skilled in administration, then uh, they're not a believer, but then they get caught, saved. And because they, of their faith in Christ, God calls them to serve in the church and use those administrative skills. All of a sudden, because of faith and the Holy Spirit at work in them, now those skills, which appear to be natural in ability, are being used to build the kingdom of God. So sometimes a, tr a transference of skill from one, one thing into the other, one realm, one arena into another. My brother did this. He has mechanical aptitude. He could fix cars. I don't know if he fixes cars a whole lot anymore, but his mechanical aptitude, he would uh, install and repair heating and air conditioning. But then because he was good at that, they, they asked him to try to sell the stuff. And because he knew the stuff in and out and was a likable guy, it turned out he was pretty good at selling it too. And then because he was good at that, they eventually make him vice president of sales for his company. His vice president, whatever all that goes, I don't know. But there was a transferability of his skill sets that kept going from one arena to the other. Sometimes with spiritual gifts, it looks like a natural ability, but that's by faith. This Holy Spirit begins to empower and it begins to work in building the kingdom of God. Catch this. God's work cannot ultimately be done through human might. Only the work of the Spirit is of value. 
And so we see that sometimes it looks like a natural ability that was just transferred from the, from the unbelieving world, from the business world to the, to the church world, and God applies. And sometimes it's a development of something that you didn't know you had, and maybe years ago you didn't have. But understand something. I, I like to uh, give an illustration for this. Is it perfect? No. But boy, oh boy, we're trying to get our minds around an infinite God. So an impact wrench. And I don't understand all the physics of the thing, but I understand that there's air that goes through an impact wrench to make that tool turn. And with an impact wrench, you can do things on a car much more easily than you could if you were just turning wrenches. When you have a spiritual gift it accomplishes far more easily than what you could do with your own strength. If you've ever served in anything in a church and found that you were doing a ministry that you really were not gifted at, you know what I'm talking about. It's the difference between trying to, to get a rusty nut off of a, off of a screw with your own strength versus a torque wrench. Then you see somebody come along and they make it look easy. Why? Because they're gifted for it. So we have this spiritual gift. Christian, the moment you put your trust in Jesus, you received a spiritual gift. And he lives in us and empowers us to build the kingdom. And so we see that. Then it goes on in verse 11 through 13. Jesus calls certain believers to equip other believers. He, he calls certain believers to equip other believers. Look at verse 11. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Watch this. There's... Four things going on. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Shepherds and teachers is probably one thing that means pastor. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, they're all speaking roles. They're teaching. The prophets, just to give you a summary, they go to the people of God and say, People of God, God wants you to do this. You're not doing it. Turn or burn, people. That's kind of what the prophet does the evangelist well we're all called to be involved in the work of evangelism but the evangelist seems to be very fruitful and effective one thing that we're kind of as american christians because we've seen great guys like billy graham come along and they preach and fill stadiums are filled up and people come forward we kind of think that is the only type of evangelist i uh, we get that in our minds sometimes it can be that but it can be just a guy or a gal who's faithfully sharing the gospel with, with the people that they encounter and some of us are, I'll just say, more spiritually gifted in the work of evangelism than others. But these are teaching roles, primarily. Speaking is involved. Why, do they, why are these people there, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry? Saint, listen, we're not Catholic, so I'm just going to tell you, the saint is just another word for a person who's believed in Jesus Christ and then been declared to be a saint by God. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry to do what? For building up the body of Christ until verse 13, we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In that verse, that last part, there's a Greek word, helikios, and it really has the idea of a person who's now full grown. Full stature. That boy became a man. Look at how big he has become. Uh, that girl is full grown, just, just like her mama. The idea is as Christians, we're coming to become more like Jesus Christ. But verse 11, the primary, 
role of those mentioned in verse 11 is to equip the saints to serve one another and make disciples. And they do so primarily by teaching, encouraging, and challenging them with God's word. Primarily. What is the goal of their work? That every Christian will then work together to build up the church and that we would be transformed and become like Christ and help others transform. See, catch this. Transformation happens in us when we participate in God's plan to build Christ's church through us. Transformation happens that way. For a long, long time, I sat, uh, came to church every Sunday, believed what I heard. I heard the preacher. I heard the singing. I sang along. I said amen and kind of knew there was areas of my life that didn't line up with what I was hearing at church. But that was as far as it went. I had no connection to the other believers at church. I most certainly was not serving. And therefore, I stayed stagnant. But then something happened, which I have seen repeated numerous times in other Christians. I I got connected to other Christians. They took the lead in making that happen. It didn't have to go that way, but that is what happened. They took the lead in making connection with me, and I didn't just stiff arm them like I used to do. Right? And then all of a sudden, before long, I'm finding a place to serve, and quickly going from a guy who's stagnant to now connected with other Christians, they're speaking into my life, and now I'm serving, and transformation happens quickly. See, the reason we talk at Calvary about gather, grow, go, because something happens to us. When we as Christians gather together as one body, worshiping our God and Father and our Lord Jesus Christ in the Spirit, something happens in us when we say, Jesus is a priority to us, and we're going to sing his praises. There's transformation that happens when we gather to worship, when we gather for fellowship with other Christians, when we grow in personal study or learning from other Christians. I get it. Not everyone's a book-learning type of person, but we are a people of the book. So so I get it. So maybe you learn more from learning from other people who spend a lot of time in the Word of God and then thinking through how it applies and talking and ministering to each other. Then the third component, go. Find a place to serve inside the church, or outside of the church. And i got to pause for a second. As a pastor, uh, one of the things that I, I, I realized a few years back that sometimes pastors do, catch this, we think sometimes that the only ministry that's real ministry is what's done inside of the building of the church. But that's not really the way it is. I had a conversation with somebody. I'm apologizing. Sorry, I didn't get a chance to ask him. I think they'll be okay with this. They said, you know, in my job, I've, I've kind of felt led by the Lord to offer a prayer to people at the end. And as I thought about it and walked off, I said, that's really cool because they're engaging in ministry, real ministry, that has nothing to do with how our church is organized. You see, ultimately, transformation happens in us when we participate in God's plan to build Christ's church through us. Something amazing happens. This is the miracle of life change. What is my role in the work of transformation? To get involved in what God is doing. To serve and to sketch this, to receive service from others. One of the things I came to know early on is sometimes you offer to serve, but because Americans were kind kind of proud people, people genuinely need it, but they deny the offer of service. And the truth is, once we've been served by another person and we have felt loved and we felt taken care of, it does something to us. I don't think that's an accident. 
I think that's how God has designed this thing we call the church to work. It goes on in verse 14. Jesus calls and equips every believer to strengthen each other. Verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the wind, by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. This building up that he's describing is a strengthening process. And as I read the imagery here, I think he has the idea of a toddler standing in the ocean or some moving body of water and they're just getting knocked around. But as we build each other and strengthen each other, all of a sudden, we're not knocked around so much. What comes and knocks us around? Well, he says two things. Every wind, and then he says doctrine. I want to talk about two things. Number one, the one in life, in case you haven't noticed, if it haven't, hasn't happened to you, give it time, it will. There are things in life that knock us. We have health issues. Our, our loved one passes away. Our parents begin to age and need our assistance a lot more than they used to. Our kids become teenagers. And these things are difficult, and so often people go through them alone. But I don't think that's what God wants for the Christian. That's why he has put us in this family called the church, because he doesn't want his children to walk through the trials of life alone. And so when we come alongside each other and, and love each other, get a meal together, it doesn't always have to... Listen, I love the Bible, but Bible study isn't the only ministry that matters. Is that heresy? I'm the guy that preaches all the time, and I'm telling you this is important, but it isn't the only thing that's important. And so sometimes when we come alongside each other as going through a hard time, Sometimes they just need to know they're loved, and that is exactly how, how the church is supposed to function. And this strengthens each other as the trials of life come. And they will. As a young person, you're raising a kid, and, and things are going along well, and all of a sudden they learn how to talk. And then they go to school, and they come home with language that you know they ain't learning at home. And then friends come around and you guys scratch your head and say, how do, I, how do I not be the parent that ruins their teenager's life but also make sure that the kid doesn't ruin their own life because they're hanging around with knuckleheads? You don't have to live through that alone because you've got lots of people who have already been through that and would gladly tell you what they've learned if you knew them and were comfortable enough to ask them. See, we grow up spiritually as we serve and receive service from each other in the church. And then he goes on and talks about every wind of doctrine. And I'm going to share one of the things that I am growing to understand as part of my responsibility as a pastor is to point out bad doctrine. Now, my general approach is to say, I think the best, inocul the best thing is to inoculate you and say, here is good doctrine. So when you come across bad doctrine, you'll recognize it. You will have seen a real dollar bill, and so when you see the counterfeit, you go, that's not right. And so when a guy says to you on the television that he walked into his office, and there was Jesus physically, and he was depressed, you will know that he is lying to you. And you might stop watching. You say, does somebody really say that? Yeah. Same guy who took a cable car up into heaven. 
a gondola. And here's a little... There is bad doctrine out there. And I keep hearing this recurring thing from people on mission fields. Ready to hear what they're... We have exported something to other countries called the prosperity gospel. And I keep hearing from missionaries who are in India and Africa who are saying that this stuff is ruining the church over there. Because they thought that if you believed in Jesus, you'd be rich and you'd never get sick. And then COVID happened. And they had it a lot worse there than they had it here. And bad doctrine failed them. And so I have a responsibility at times to point it out. So far, I'm one for four. I have one person that said, I'm glad you do that, and three who are friends who agree with me on doctrine were not comfortable. And I simply point this out to say, the church has to embrace good doctrine and be willing to reject bad doctrine. When you follow this timeline of the Ephesians, Paul literally tells them, I know that when I leave, people will come in and they will be like wolves among you, tearing apart the sheep. And part of that is bad doctrine. And so we have teaching, we have encouragement. Doctrine is important. I, like, I think I have an important job, but I think you do too, whether you teach or not in strengthening other believers. See, when we know God and his people, the less the storms of life will toss us. And when we know God's truth, we are not easily deceived by false doctrine. And your role and my role in the transformation process is to put ourselves into a position to serve and be served by others. To be served by others, you got to get to know them a little bit. And probably to serve others, you got to get to know them a little bit. Finally, verse 15 and 16. Jesus calls and equips every believer to build the body of Christ. Verse 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. From whom the whole body, that's the church, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, that's you and me, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love Preaching this passage is kind of easy at Calvary. Because a lot of times when I, I keep hearing about stuff that I don't know is going on, and then all of a sudden, hey, yeah, so-and-so called me, and they came by and saw me, and they ministered to me, and I go, praise God. That's a church building itself up in love. Sometimes as a pastor, you pound the pulpit. I don't have to pound the pulpit. I just got to remind sometimes this is what we're about. This is one of those times. See, sometimes you do it without, on, without... Isn't it nice? Sometimes I do the right thing on accident. I stumble into it. Isn't it nice to be reminded that you're doing the right thing as you're going along? See, God's vision for you is that you would use your spiritual gift to help build up the church. God's vision for Calvary is that each one of us would use our spiritual gift to help build up the church. Now... I got to thinking about that. Why don't some use their spiritual gift? I'll give you a few reasons. There might be more reasons, but there's the ones that I've kind of seen a lot of, and I've lived through it myself. You ready? Number one, too busy. Because you and I have a limited amount of time and energy that we can devote to things. 
and sometimes we're too busy, or sometimes the task that's being asked of us is a bit more than we can give time to, right? So, when it, and I've seen people that maybe won't sign up to teach Sunday school, which I've jokingly said is the eternal job. Maybe you can sign up for a once in a while. So those type same people, they might not sign up for that, but I see them show up for uh, a work day or something that takes four hours, whatever the case may be. But sometimes we're, we're just too busy, don't have the time or energy. And the truth is, as, you're, as the season of life changes, you change and what you can do changes. My, my, my parents, I watch them, they're going on mission trips in their 50s, going to Europe, on a, and my mom served continually, it seems, in the nursery, and and, and she kind of got to saying, you know, I just can't get on the floor with the kids anymore. And so sometimes seasons of life changes and you've got to find a different way to serve. But uh, finding opportunity requires sometimes some time. And, and I've served in church with men I highly respect, but some of them literally took work like a hobby and literally had two jobs. And I'm not in a position to know their financial status. I just, they just didn't leave any time to serve in the Lord's work unless they were finding out ways to be Christian witnesses while they were working. In which case, they are building the kingdom of God. So listen, if you're one of those guys or gals that's currently super busy, hey, let's, guess what? God's put you in a little circle of influence. Be a Christian publicly in that circle of influence. Let God use you where you are. But finding time, number two, number two um, the, the way you find out your, they just don't know other spiritual gifts. So how do you find out your spiritual gift? Can I, I'm going to give you the really simple, which takes time, and I'll give you a little uh, complicated, which doesn't take much time at all. Well, I'm not sure if I answered that right, but I'm going to give you two exa- explanations. You ready? Number one, you could try new things that you've never done before, and you will find that some things are like, this stinks. I don't like doing this at all, and nothing seems to happen. Or you might say, I stink, I don't like this at all, but boy, something seems to be happening every time I do this. So try something new. Second thing is when you get to know other Christians and they get to know you and they say, you know, uh, Jim, whenever you do this or you say this or you do this thing, I'm always blessed. And in fact, I've watched you do that in other people's lives and they're blessed too. That might be an indication that that's your spiritual gift. What if... You're going along, you say, somebody really needs to do this. They need to be calling people more often, and this love needs to be expressed. You're right. Maybe it's you, though, because you're probably the one that has the gift of mercy, as described in Romans 12. What does that look like? Well, I can tell you this. A lot of people do acts of mercy, but they don't particularly feel glad about it. When you're a person that sees that there's a need to be met and then you meet that need and you're cheerful about it, that probably means that you have the gift of mercy. So you can go along, try some things out. I'm kind of, I'm a brag about my kid. He signed up for something yesterday. Last, uh, a couple days ago, somebody texted me and said, hey, I'm kind of shut in, but I really want to be on the care ministry. Would you sign my name up? I said, sure. And they're, they're going to do what they can do. Their physical limitations that have kind of limited them in some ways, but they're like, I'm going to send some cards to people. Sign my name up. So I'm standing there, and I sign up, and Kenny goes, hey, can I sign up? You will see his name on number, I think, six. He says yes. And so now we're talking about how that should look for an 11-year-old. He can't drive. Some of you can drive. That might be a part of the care team. You don't have to be super gifted, but be willing to meet a need, right? And so now what's the equipping process? Well, here's equipping. 
he and I are talking about what that ought to look like for an 11-year-old. If that means he makes cards, well, I'm going to get some decent card stock and buy some stamps for him. Or if it means that he wants to go, we're going to go, he's going to go see people and it seems appropriate to bring him to a shut-in's home, well, that's what we're going to do. But my job in the equipping process is to say, okay, here's what you need to get the job done. And so trying different things. This is new for him, but we're doing it. And somebody says, you know what? I can't get out and do all the things, but I want to be on that team. Try different things. And you will find out how God's wired you and perhaps how he has not wired you. Then there's another simple thing. It's simple in the sense that people did all the hard work and did a lot of thinking and praying and planning and learning, and then they put together a thing called a spiritual gifts inventory. Some of you have probably done those. Maybe you did it 15 years ago, and you think, don't need to do that anymore. Well, it does change over time for a lot of people. And so in your bulletin insert, I gave you a thing called, it's a link to a thing called the real you. It is a spiritual gifts inventory, but it's more than that. It kind of talks a little bit more in depth about personality and temperament. And, and some of you say, well, that's not in the Bible. Okay, fine, but look at it and say what's helpful and what isn't. And then tell me what's wrong with it when you see it. But I've done a few of these, and, and so when I came across this one, is Chip Ingram is the one whose his ministry created it. I found it to be spot on. And it was encouraging me to know, hey, you're kind of where you should be right now. Keep doing that. Maybe you're like, I don't know, or maybe you just want a reminder, or maybe you just need something to do. It takes about 20 minutes, and you're like, I'm bored on Sunday afternoon. So it's in your bulletin insert. At small groups tonight, uh, if, please consider doing it and talking about it. One of the questions in there, and the, and the questions has to do with whether or not you took a spiritual gifts test today. And if you didn't, well, it would be okay, but it would be would be a lot, a lot less awkward if some of you actually did do the test before the evening. So take advantage of that. And um, But those are some simple ways that you can do spiritual gifts inventory and find out maybe how God's... Finally, as Pastor Rob and the teens come forward for our song of response, our invitation time, perhaps you understood a little bit more about the gospel. Jesus Christ... The Son of God comes from heaven to earth, lives a sinless life on your behalf, dies on a cross in your behalf. You say, why did he do that? Well, because he wanted to pay the price for your sins so that you could be reconciled to God. This morning, if you've come to the place that you understand that you have sinned against God and you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose again the third day, if you would like to respond in and receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, I invite you, make your way to the front. I'll help you call on him. He will hear you, and he will save you. Please stand for our song of invitation. You've been listening to Dr. Dan Kitnoya, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website, calvarytilton.com. That's calvarytilton.com. Thank you for listening.